0: Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center.
1: Good morning, everyone. June 26th for a sunny Saturday. And I must admit... My muscles are a little sore. We're moving into our new area of uh, our nursery here. It's so much fun to be back in the garden because I do take a reprieve of office, but I love getting my hands in the soil and building up those muscles. And it's been such a joy this week because I have to say not only do we have a new space, but I will announce I also have a new grandson. And it is wonderful. It's like If I say it's like a new planting, it's like a new plant. The excitement is there. And it's all about that sort of secret little touch that you have within your family. But it brought to mind that there's a little bit of space too for those little secret gardens that we want to develop and maybe add new plantings to. So the secret garden is the poem for the day. Please listen. The river that exists in the back garden was all but untouched by the tips of my toes in the middle of summer. Days and days went by where nothing but beads of sweat were drawn from the moisture in the vacant, dusty, long days and endless nights, sitting on boulders in the middle of a crystal river, complacently singing about life and all the sweet nothings it compromises of. Sweet nothing, that means nothing, sweet to anyone else." The water intrudes the space in between my toes and washes away the afternoon game at adventure-seeking, pleasure-seeking and the earth's own seeker-keeper. Everything surrounding me is green and lush and life is full and mystical wonder and elegant and outstretching arms. My lyrical recitation of the place is sober and sere. My words, they do not linger long. They don't linger here. For they carried out in song Into the auburn sunset That catches fire through tangled trees Of this secret garden I think I found the place Where my mind will will willingly take me back Forever with just one desirable wish A place where sleep exists without weeping A place where trees are welcoming their scent of pine This place is the secret garden of mine It is a beautiful morning to be Listening and talking about our gardens, we're going to go right to the lines. Good morning, Debbie.
2: Hello, uh, Carla. Listen, uh, I always watch watch you on um, Tuesdays on TV. Oh, okay, thank you. And and this week you were talking about uh, looking after uh, potted large pots outside. Y-
1: yes, we were talking. We're starting to talk about the care of the
2: plants. Yes. Now, well, yeah. my phone rang at the same time. Oh, (laughs) so I didn't get it, and I wondered what you—I just wondered what you said about like general looking after them on, uh,
1: you know, watering and
2: and fertilizing and whatever.
1: Well, that is a good discussion. It was actually part of my uh, if if I don't have any callers, I always have a regime of what we think we should be talking about for the week. So, because gardening involves and twists and changes on a weekly basis, but what we do understand is. Some of our plants are starting to grow. Some of them are starting to look luscious. But to keep them going like that, Debbie, is uh, by watering them, getting them on a really good regime of watering, fertilizing. And at some points, I was also talking about deadheading and pinching some growth back to encourage lush growth. So um, if we're dealing with, and mostly what I was talking about was containers and floor pots and hanging baskets, And with the excessive heat, I think the call to action was for people to uh, take, look at your baskets almost on a daily basis, because with climate and weather, these can be affected on a daily basis, because A, uh, hanging baskets, if they're growing nice and lush and full, and they probably need water probably once, if not twice a day, depending on the size of your containers. Right. Yeah, floor pots will last a little bit longer if they're a little bit bigger and deeper because they have that moisture that's able to go right through. But the other thing is, um, you may have heard me say in some points that sometimes people will say, how come the flowers were so big when I bought them at the garden centers and now they're a little smaller. And it's because our annuals are here for such a short time that they're heavy feeders. So yeah, it's like doing the, the, the sprints, that marathon, and not getting any food right afterwards. So So how often do you fertilize? Oh, with fertilizing? Good question. Uh, If it's a hanging basket, the analogy I kind of put it is, I like to do a diluted solution at least once a week because if I'm watering watering and fertilizing, let's say, on a nice Sunday, and then I have to water Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever residual is in that I'm actually, if I'm watering as well to get the water that drains all the way through, I right. could be actually right. leaching some of that fertilizer out. So a nice solution of it once a week is not going to hurt it. Uh, it's actually going to give you that feed basis that's on it.
2: So like in the greenhouses, when when we buy these pots, like when we, you know, just now, and they're also and in bloom. Yep. How are they fertilizing every day?
1: Uh, that depends on each garden center. Some will have it on a, um, like I, if I can say, on tap. <laughs> yes. Sometimes it's on tap of a solution mix so that they get a little bit of uh, regime the whole time. And sometimes right. also, too, uh, I know in our regime, we also, at the beginning of our season, we put a slow-release fertilizer in there, too, as well, to compensate for when we do not put a liquid feed in, that they're also getting a little bit of a constant feed at the same time.
2: Okay, okay. because sometimes, you know, you, you, you pay big money for these beautiful pots, and you come home, and in a couple of weeks, they don't look good at all.
1: Well, that is, they should continue to look awesome if they 're watered and go you know if you if you allow a plant to dry out, the first thing that they 're going to do is lose their bloom if they get stressed out to the point where they 're being watered and then heavily uh, let dried out so they go to excessive dry that 's plant stress, so you 'll affect your leaf and also your blooming aspect but you can save that by trimming plants back by pinching the leader growth. It's almost like giving them a haircut, removing about one third of the tips of the outer length of the growth. So it forces new growth to come further into the basket where there's other leaf nodes. Okay. Cause we're, cause All right. A, I understand. Yeah. Keep okay. up the good
2: work. Okay. Lots uh, of good thanks work. Thank you very much.
3: Oh,
1: Bye. you're very welcome. And thank you for listening and thank you for watching.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.
1: We're going to go right to Lyons because I think it's going to be a busy morning. Hi, Barbara. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm fine. How are you?
1: Very good. I've, you know what? I always at the beginning of the show, I always forget. You know I what? I have a
0: very hard time hearing you. You're very faint.
1: Oh, can you hear me now?
0: Yeah, a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyways, if- I have a question about my lupins. I know you say you would like lupins and you can't seem to grow them. I have them coming up everywhere in my flower bed. Now they've finished flowering. But where the seeds are, it seems that something is eating all the seed pods.
1: Oh, well, I'm totally jealous right now. I shouldn't be. I should be gracing you and saying, wow, you are doing a fantastic job because, yes, I can't grow a lupin, And they are beautiful. If everyone does not know what a lupin is, they're usually indigenous or Nova Scotia areas, you see them. And I'm going to ask you, what color are they?
0: I have a purple, I have pink and white.
1: Oh, beautiful. I love lupins. Yeah, beautiful. I do too. It's yeah. just they
0: don't flower very long. Right now, they don't look that great anymore. But like I say, when I go outside and look at it, and the stalk where all the seeds were, it's... It's just bare. It looks like something is eating them. And last year, I actually found some green worms in there that I thought that was eating them. But this year, there's just nothing. It's just like, you know, there's some seeds hanging there, and the rest of the stalk is bare.
1: Okay. Well, you probably have something well, you you know that something is eating it because the the right. evidence is there because it's not, and most bug activity usually call, um, occurs early morning or at night. Yes. yes, so I would say if you're if you want to take some action to sort of see uh, save the developing seed pods, uh, I would probably do a little bit of a diatomaceous earth dusting on it, or if you have any. Um, some people have some old potato dustlets lying around. You can use that up on there. But if not, use the um, insectic... Uh, it's, it's called insectigon or Insecticola. But it's a diatomaceous earth. And as you put the powder on any of the leaf structure or in the ground, if they ingest it or if they crawl through it, it is a... It's, it's going to lead to their demise. Okay? Okay. Yeah. But uh so you... They grow from mother, but it's beautiful that they're setting and growing from the seed. So I'd say take action and keep those lupins growing.
0: And what is it called again?
1: Uh, it the product that you want to get has diatomaceous earth in it.
0: Oh, it's lots a powdered dust. Word here.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, if insecticola or insectagon.
0: in Oh, insectagon. Okay. Insectagon. Yeah, okay, I so can if you, use that. That's- yeah. Okay? Okay. Well, thank you very much, and you have a wonderful day.
1: You too, Barbara. Thank you so much for calling. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Wow. Lupins. Um, You know, it's uh, when I first, just a little story, when I first started here many years ago, I had a a, a lovely girl that was working with me. Her name was Arda, and I said, let's go. We're going to seed lupins today. And her face drops, and she was from Nova Scotia and said, we mow them over because they're in the ditches. So, what I guess what this tells us is what is a weed to others may be a beautiful plant. And yes, I believe the, the lupins are gorgeous. Even though they are short-lived, they, they add a punch of color to the garden. We're going to go right back to lines. Good morning, Evelyn. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. And where are you calling from? Tolstoy. Tolstoy. Well, good morning, Tolstoy. <laughs> How can we help you this morning on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Uh, I had an
2: apple tree, a small one, that was killed um, by fire blight. It's okay. been dead for about two years, and I want to take it out, and I'd like to replace it with something else. Now, I'm wondering if it's safe to do so in the same area.
1: Um, well, usually fire blight is spread from, uh, sometimes you'll get that from, Area to area, um, there's no sanitization or chemical control for fireblade that you can do for managing and cultural aspects that's on it. Um, it is bacterial that's that's on it. I would have to sort of say. And how many years has it been since it's been in this like in that area?
2: Um, well, the tree died two years ago.
1: Okay. And is that the only area that you can replant into? But I don't think it would stay in the soil per se because it being bacterial that's on it. But you know what? I'm going to take, I'm going to get Eva. I'm going to consult with my, uh, my business partner here who likes to kill things and I like to grow things. And just to make sure that I'm giving you the exact information that's on it. Because sometimes you do get some things that stay active in the soil. I don't think that fire blight does because it usually is transference by other areas. Um, but um, do you have any other uh, pears or apples in the area?
2: Yes, I do. Uh, about 20 feet away, there's another one, and it wasn't affected at all.
1: Yeah. Okay, so if it doesn't, because usually if it spreads by birds landing on one and going to the other, you know, that kind of stuff that's on it. So, um Usually, you know, uh, it's either the birds or the bees that will kind of remove from one to the other and usually you get it when it's pollinating and moving. So I don't think it would be in the soil per chance that's in there, but I want to just make sure that we've got it right, okay? Okay. So um, Sasha is with me today here. So if you can leave your name with Sasha, then I will confer that and I will we'll actually um, kind of give a shout out to uh, next week too as well with that, that
2: okay? That
1: would be great. Okay, awesome. Sorry, you're making me learn today, so that's good, too.
2: All right, then. Well, thank you for your help, and have a great day.
1: You too, Evelyn. Uh,
2: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. You know what? You stumped me on that one. That's something that I should learn about that one, because I know it's a transference with... with the environmental from, uh, transfer from one to the other. And even if we do have fire blight, the one aspect is I do, I do know with the pruning of it is that if you are going to prune any of it out in your existing trees, and some people may say, what is fire blight? But fire blight is an aspect of, uh, it usually goes in the prunus or apple mal- malus family, that it actually looks like branches. Physical branches will die and look scorched. The leaves actually look like they're gone crisp, hence fire blight. It looks like something has dried it or burnt it out. So in any essence, if you're thinking that you have any portion of a tree or a shrub that is diseased, uh, not necessarily bugs, but disease I always like to do a little bit of a dip of uh, bleach and water solution on my secateurs and pruners from one cut to another so that you do not get that transference that's on it. I'm always talking about cleaning your, our, clean your scissors, clean your secateurs, clean your tools. And that's part of a good, clean aspect of the horticultural, our gardening side of it. Okay? That's my little shout-out. Hey, we're going to go right to Bertha. Hi, Bertha.
2: Good morning. Good morning. I have two questions. Sure. Um, we planted um, fruit shrubs six weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. And... Uh, would they go, take hold better if
0: um, we cut the tops off?
1: Okay. What type of fruiting shrubs did you plant? Buckhorn. Wolfberry. Uh, wolf and, and Aronia. Okay. So, oh, those are all really nice shrubs too, and all, kind of have that natural native kind of look that's to it too. Um if you just planted them, sometimes we recommend it, and sometimes you'll also hear the stories of when we even plant our annuals by debudding uh, them to put the energy back into the ground. With the shrubs, I wouldn't most likely do any pruning on them. Uh, I see that more on the aspect of maybe some of the perennials and the annuals just to get that growth that's going. I would probably just go ahead and make sure that it's well watered and maintained. Uh, if you had any uh, bone meal or root rescue or uh, Mike's product to get some uh, root growth going on it, that's where I would probably say concentrate on that point then rather than shaping and shearing at this point. Just because uh, if you shape and shear, uh, that's another action that could cause the plant to go, oh, what's going on? Am I supposed to stop here or am I supposed to create roots? But generally plants themselves when they're going in the ground and they're given that new uh, reservoir of space in the ground with some new soil that's around it, they normally will start to take off. But you, what's going to encourage them to take off is making sure that you're on a regime of keeping that moisture on the rooting systems, okay?
2: Okay. And uh, um, some are turning
0: a
4: little yellow or light. In color, the leaves. Does that mean
1: that we overwater? Well, it might be because yellow leaves. Oh, I. We could go on to yellow leaves because yellow leaves tells us a whole like it tells us uh, such a broad spectrum because yellow leaves. Yes, either could be. Uh oh, I'm overwatering. Oh oh, I'm underwatering, or I may have a little bit of a um, a bug happening. So and a. If you just planted it, and some, sometimes the rule of thumb is we don't want to water every day unless we find that the soil uh, is drying out that quick in that area. Right. So um, are you in a sandy area or are you in, where where are you calling from? Uh, uh, Riverton. Riverton. So I don't know if you're, um, like I know the Brandon area and everything is very sandy. So as soon as you water, it's gone. So if it's what clay... Bit of clay, okay. So you've got a little bit of clay, so you're probably going to hold a little bit of moisture if you do saturate the area. But uh, if it's newly planted, I like to say, if we're you know, if we're in the low uh, 10 to 15, 19 degrees Celsius, I like a nice, good drench once a week. If we're hitting in the mid 20s, twice a week. If we're hitting the high 30s with high temperatures. Sometimes three times a week because everything is drying out quick. All right? Okay. Um, The other thing, too, that causes yellow leaves, and you want to make sure that you're secure on this, is that when you've planted a new tree or a shrub, is maintaining the elevation or the ground, the root ball, at the ground height. You don't want to bury trees and shrubs deeper and add extra soil on top of that original root ball surface. So uh, take a look for that too because sometimes I see yellowing leaves as an indicator that, ooh, ooh I'm newly planted, I look great, but if I start yellowing, check to make sure that, that no additional soil was added around the trunk of the, or uh, like the root, uh, the, sorry, on top and around the stems, okay?
2: Yeah, I think my husband's listening so he'll get it. <laughs> okay, good.
0: <laughs> the other question is... Uh, I was given peonies, two plants, and I planted them on the southeast corner of the house, and they're not doing very well. I'm just wondering what fertilizer they need or just what to do.
1: Okay, with peonies, and you're in the southeast corner, so you're probably getting sun if you get a combination, because we know peonies love full sun. So full sun in the gardening world is roughly about six hours of sunlight combined. Okay. But if you know okay. that it is an early morning sun and the late late evening sun, things will progress a little bit slower than if it if it was from like uh, eleven to eight o'clock or you know that hot intense sun during the day. So a uh, if they're just m- uh, newly planted, uh, yeah. make sure that you water them well. Make sure again, and peonies are notorious for not liking to be planted deep all right so i always like to see i always like to see them uh up a little bit higher when you first because they will self-settle themselves over the years that's on it so water them if you didn't Mm -hmm. apply any uh bone meal to them you can add some bone meal to help with the the roots because Mm -hmm. okay but just keep up with the watering and in this time when you're planting. uh, you know, we had some intense heat action that was happening on a lot of plants. So they're adjusting. You know, it's like us going to a very hot tropical place in the first few days and we're just like, oh, my gosh, I have to get used to this. They're getting used to the new uh, place in situ, which is their situation or their new location. Okay? Right. Yes. All right. Okay. Okay? That sounds good. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, Bertha, and uh, have a great weekend. Okay? Thank you, you too, and congratulations. Oh, yes, thank you. I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, Okay, okay. thank you you so much. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know what, and Bertha, I must say, it's nice to have someone else listening with you and the extra helping hands in the garden. And we're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, and I love the aspect that we're looking at the care of existing uh, plants and also adventuring into the new plantings as well because it's a general care that is going to give us success in our gardens. So let's go right back to the lines. We have Marie waiting. Hi Marie. Hello. Hi. Where are you calling from this uh, morning?
3: Gladstone.
1: Gladstone. Well, we've had a couple phone callers from Gladstone over the time. How can, <laughs> just how wanted,
3: can we help? I can just help to you? tell you uh, my experience with four o'clock. We so had that on last week and I didn't, we ran out of time so I couldn't uh, tell you what I, what my experience was with them.
1: Wonderful. I would love to hear it.
3: Anyway, I uh, saved the seed from year, to, from year to year, and then I planted, what I did, I planted them in a row at the edge of my garden, between the garden and the, and the lawn, and they grew like a, a hedge, maybe two and a half to three feet high, and then I uh, planted, you know, smaller flowers in front of them, but uh, the, fo- the reason they're called four o'clocks, I think, is because they don't bloom in the, in the heat of the day, they open up at four o'clock and so on. Or if, if it's a cloudy or a, a cool day, they'll bloom all day. And I didn't have any. I didn't have much luck with the different colored ones, but I had the, the the deep pink ones, and they they sure look beautiful.
1: Oh, I can just imagine seeing <laughs> that, especially as a hedge row. Yes. Oh, that would be beautiful. And you know what? Four o'clocks. There are some beautiful plants and they've been around, the four o'clocks have been around for a long time and it's yes. almost like, um, uh, I love it paired with moon, moon vine. Do you know what moon vine is or moonflower? No, no. Well, moonflower is, belongs in the, uh, Ipamea family, like morning glory family. Okay. But the morning glories bloom early and the moonflowers, of course it's moon because it's white. <laughs> And they okay. bloom just like your four o'clocks, they like the later evening oh, okay. uh, temperatures, so they open up, but i in my mind right now, I see that your hedge of pink four o'clocks, yeah, and that would be beautiful
3: yes yeah they they was, they wouldn't bloom in the middle of the hot the hot hot part of the day, but later on, I think that's why they're called four o'clocks' because they they open up when the sun isn't as hot anymore, like uh, around four o'clock. As I say, and then uh, on days when there was no when the sun wasn't shining, like it was a cool day and no no sunshine and stuff, they are still they were still full bloom, well, you know what maybe okay, I'm just gonna throw this out there. maybe
1: plants are just meant to cheer us up because <laughs> why would they not just on a on a sort of a dismal and a cooler day? I think your four o'clocks are just saying to you, hey, Marie, we're here, we're inspiring you, and we are giving you a a, a little bit of cheerfulness, okay?
3: Okay. Well, I don't have the garden anymore, so I I just thought I'd uh, let you know. I can picture them all in my mind still, so (laughs) that's great. Well,
1: you keep those memories, because the visions of beautiful gardens, it inspires us, eh?
3: Yeah. Okay, Okay. that's it. I just wanted to tell you what my experience was with the four o'clocks.
1: Well thank you for sharing your story with us. Bye bye Marie.
3: Okay, Okay,
1: bye. Okay. Bye bye. Have a great weekend. Wow. You know what? Whether you had a garden before and whether you're a newbie, we're helping each other. It's beautiful. I give you all a thumbs up. Let's go right to lines because Hilda is waiting patiently. Hi Hilda. Good morning. Good morning. And where are you calling from, Hilda? From McGregor. McGregor. Good morning. Good morning. Mm-hmm. At, how can we help you this morning on the lawn and garden?
4: Oh, I have a tree that's been here for a while. It's a linden. I don't know what type, but, but all of a sudden half of it, it's almost like in the middle of the trunk, and then the one side is, 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 is uh, curling up and looks like it's drying up, and I've been watering like crazy to see if that would help, but it's, so far it hasn't. The other side stays good. Okay. That's weird. Um, so how old is the tree? I don't know that. We've been here two years. And it's, okay. it's already 20, 20 feet, I would say.
1: Okay, so it's it's probably a relatively, like if I asked you, like we you normally look at the ages of trees, like I'm going to tell you, like my dad would say, if you cut down a tree, you can tell how old it is by the rings yeah. or the caliper of it. Mm. So is it is it like a 5-inch around the trunk or 6-inch? Yeah, about, mm-hmm. about 5 inches, eh? About, okay, yeah. Say. Yeah, so there are certain things that you can see that happen to some of the diseases that you can get into linden trees, whether it's, and an, sometimes there's an anthracnose that's in there that you can get it. You can get a wilt that's on the leaves. Mm-hmm. that also affects that leaf structure. So if you get a leaf wilt that's on there, mm-hmm. those are some diseases that's caused a fungus that's on it. Um, Why only half of it, though? Because it's going to affect one side of it because each branch will be on it. Like if you, you know, sometimes you get a sore neck on one side but not on the other side. Yeah. You know? But just take a look at different types of things. Um, Sometimes there may be cankers or sores that are on the tree. So if you can look at the tree to see if there's any scarring or damage that's on any of the branches that are opening up, that would be another hint to sort of look at too as well. Okay. Okay. If you have diseases on trees... Uh, there is something that you can do to sort of help it out. Is a when something's happening, I always say, okay, if you're not feeling good, you always say, drink fluids, um, take vitamins. Okay, so when you're dealing with this, I would say try and encourage the growth and, and promote the healthiness of a tree by giving it extra water. Yeah, if it, I, I, uh, I have. Yeah, a fertilize it. I have. A And you've been fertilized. Okay, so the other thing that you can do is um, there is, with helping to remedy with certain diseases and fungals and problems on trees, there is a dormant oil lime sulfur spray that you would apply, but you have to apply it in the fall after the leaves have dropped. Okay. And then again in the spring before the new bud breaks or open on the leaves.
4: Okay? Dormant oil... Uh, lime
1: Sulfur Spray.
4: Can you spell,
1: spell that? It's uh, Lime, oh. L-I-M-E, Sulfur Yeah, I know how. Okay, now
4: spray. I know. Spray. I got it. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and those are things that would probably uh, assist you, but uh, I'm a big promoter that if something's under stress, give it some moisture, get it some feed.
4: Mm-hmm. That's All right? That's only, only uh, feed you should give it, and that's in fall? No, nope, no. You feed your trees now. Okay.
1: Uh, because on a regime, if you're going to do a granular uh, spread, in the in the, if, is it in the garden or is it in the lawn? In the lawn. In the lawn. So you can do a deep root feed. Uh, Sometimes you can see um, there's different types. Like there's a Ross root feeder that you attach to a hose that puts fertilizer pellets in it that you can go into the drip line, which is the outer edge of the tree. Yeah. And you poke it into the ground, deeper into it where the the roots are. Or you can do a granular at the base. Or there's actually tree uh, fertilizer stakes that you can put a stake in the ground, rock it back and forth, and drop these six-inch little... Uh, fertilizer stakes into the ground, but again at the drip line.
4: Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay, I've been I've been watering it around around it, not just by the by the by the trunk. Yeah, I know that that. that You need it at the drip line where the ends of the roots are, right?
1: Yeah, because if you know, that's a good thing, a good comment. Because when you're at the tap, whether you have trees that have an existing tap root that goes straight down, Mm -hmm. or if they go horizontal, it's your finer root systems, the finer roots that are going to actually grab a lot of that moisture and take it up. Because if you've ever taken a tree down and you find the 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 first horizontal or the first lead root that goes off of a tree, they're sometimes as thick as some of the big branches above.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, and and would it have anything to do with ants? I have ants on the, my lawn, but, but uh. not that many around that tree, but the other where, where in the front lawn I have a lot of ants. So yeah, well people?
1: sometimes ants will go around things that are... um like dying and decaying. Yeah. But if it's not around there, then I wouldn't. No, it not You know. No. Yeah.
4: Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. Unless it's a carpenter ant, so you just got to be careful. Unless, All right. Unless it's one. A carpenter ant.
4: Or, you know,
3: no. They
1: don't eat decay. The carpenter ants don't eat decaying wood, but. You know. Yeah. Uh, regular ants, they'll go after like like your carpenter ants eat. Yeah. Good wood, not decaying wood
4: yeah I've had okay. uh odd time when we moved here I had some of those inside, but I, I well I don't even know if they are that kind are they are they very little
1: uh that i don't know i'm i don't i'm not a I'm not an ant person, so I wouldn't be able to describe them
4: yeah i I've, I've had them a couple of times and I can get rid of them pretty easy but
1: yeah no, you these- can do some ant traps or something like that if yeah. you're around it or yeah. um I know my mum uh in the days would get out the javex and sort of sprinkle that on there yeah yeah
4: okay okay well thank you very much uh, oh
1: you're welcome have a great weekend hilda yeah you too thank you okay all right bye bye so there's different res- regimes that are on there i know that uh i have uh a great big manchurian ash and it gives me an indicator that when we 're looking at some of our mature trees too it 's nice like Hilde or Hilda to go out there and take a look at the aspects of it and I know my manchurian ash, oh my gosh, it is probably fifty feet tall, and I know that uh, the regime that I have is to get in there and prune out some of the dead branches that are on it, because not only the removal of some of these branches it 's going to take some of the weight that 's on the existing branches that are there and not being supportive of it and it's also going to open up the canopy and when you open up the canopy you get more air circulation and more air circulation is going to promote uh, better movement of the tree and less fungal problems because it allows things to dry out it gets the air right into the core of the canopies of these trees which is a win-win All right, we're going to go right back to lines. We have Catherine waiting. Hi, Catherine.
5: Yes, um, I'm calling from Winnipeg, and uh, I have a a pembina plum tree about uh, eight to nine years old, and it has never carried. It has bloomed beautifully. It sets beautifully. Then all the plums fall off, and they're all full of worms. I have used dormant uh, sulfur spray every spring. I take the branch and just spray it right along, and, um I have not i have there's one plum that ripened, and I cut it open before I ate it. It was beautiful, but other than that, like this year too, they're all falling down the ground full of worms.
1: ooh, okay, so when you're doing um uh, if you can uh, if you can spray before the fruit set develops,
5: no, I do that as soon as the 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 you can get to it, the snow is gone, and the and this year like the the buds were not. They were swelling, but not really, you know, nothing. And then the first day that was warm, and then uh, it got cold again, and I thought, okay, well, it will be fine, but it's not.
1: Ooh, yeah. You know what? Sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes nature and bugs just get at it and just keep on. Per- um, but if it's almost like your apple maggots, like you want to hang your apple maggot traps just prior to the flowers dropping. Because that's when you first start to get the development of your fruiting. Is once the flower's done, the flower drops and it says, okay, let's plump up and create some fruit. So that's the stage where you want to be able to um, try and deter that bug set for getting into the fruiting because they're already going to be existing in there. That's on it. Uh, spraying by dormant oil and lime sulfur spray bef- before and after. When the leaf set is good, is going to help to prevent any uh, thing that's in there. But I think you need to catch it just as the fruit development is starting. Okay. Yeah, because uh, doing the, before the leaf set is there is good, but you want to be able to catch it before the fruit set opens up.
5: So then would you spray it when it's blooming?
1: You have to, well, you know what? I'm going to refer to Ken, my business partner in here, because he's going to let me know what that could be that's on it. Because A, but it's, you're saying that it does flower.
5: Oh, yes, beautiful. And you do
1: get the fruit.
5: And the fruit is there, yeah, but falls off
1: But the worm inside. And then there's a worm inside. Yeah, it's Ah. definitely the worm that is causing that droppage that's on there. Yeah. So when you're looking at it, um, because sometimes, even at that point, there could be uh, like plum pockets. And is the fruit all perfectly round or is it – because sometimes a plum tree will abort – it's plum from uh, what's called plum pocket. They'll drop their fruit that's on it, and then you find that there are worms inside. So do you pick it, and there's the worm, or is it falling, and then you see the worm?
5: I just, they're just falling now. They're not ripe. So now when I cut them open, they're brown. The pit is brown, and uh, you don't. I don't really see a, a live, you know, worm in there, yeah. but uh, it's, it's brown-pitted, and...
1: Okay, that could be plum pocket. So there is a disease that's on some of the plums that are, it's called plum pocket on some of it. So if it's not necessarily, like if you're not seeing a worm per se on it, it could be that you've got the disease called plum pocket. Okay? Yeah. So it will, Um. it usually causes the the fruit to sort of rot that's on it fall off and it usually causes it to abort that's on it.
5: So then what, what is the solution there?
1: Yeah, you know Should what, I'm going to cut gonna, the tree down? Well, to prevent it is, A, it's always checking and making sure that you have uh, a clean site. Make sure that if you have any fruit that's dropping, make sure I'm always endorsing, even if it's uh, working with, Apple trees and all that kind of stuff is if something falls in the ground, make sure that you're able to pick it up and keep it so that you're not reinfecting or causing it to right, go through. Right,
5: that's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah,
1: and there used to be a, a fungicide that you could p- apply in the spring to preventive measures for there. But I again leave uh, your number with Sasha, and I'm going to refer to Ken to see how we can help you with that tree. Okay.
5: Okay, and the other thing is like the the whole stem. The main stem is kind of pitted, and so I try to spray that with the sulfur spray too. And I've called the two, uh, and I don't know—is—is the pitting of the main stem is there? Would they be nesting in there and then get up to the flowers? That
1: that could be. You could have something. If it's pitted, you could also—that could be part of a fungal disease that is attaching itself to the branches of it. Yeah. Okay. So usually pitting. Yeah. Because pitting, uh, without looking at it, sometimes the pitting aspect of it shows that it could be, uh, the, um, like sometimes you get a scale effect that it looks like the branches are really bubbly and nubbly and all that kind of stuff that's on it. Yeah. We'll have to go for there. But anyway, they're telling, you know what? Leave your number with Sasha. They're telling me we have to go. I'd love to keep talking to you all, but we have to, we're running out of time. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bye -bye. Bye. Sorry. Well, it was a great show, everyone. It went very fast. But call again next weekend on the Lawn and Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone.
5: The time has finally arrived. The time to complete all the jobs that you've been waiting all winter to do. Like cleaning up leaves and trimming the grass. The best part of all, you get to use your new BG50 Steel Leaf Blower. For $199.95, it's lightweight, powerful, and versatile. While steel FS38 grass trimmers for $179.95 make short work of even the toughest jobs. Tons of great steel equipment are waiting for you during dealer days at Wes's Tire in Carmen.